All right. We're taking all the best old school wisdom and blending it with the top new school methods to bring you the optimal coaching strategies. This is the 8020 Baseball Podcast with Coach Bo. Welcome, everybody. Coach Bo with you here. Today, we're going to talk about two of the greatest hitters of all time and what they said about hitting something specific. They both said about hitting. Now, it's not the same thing, but both of these things that they said are things that we as coaches and players can use. We can use this wisdom to achieve better results at the plate. So we'll get into that. We are also going to break down. We're going to do a quick breakdown of part four of the 80-20 baseball summer training plan, raising players baseball IQ, even when we're not playing games. Quick recap of episode 89. We talked about Joey Votto's home run streak from this past week, and we discussed how we can learn from it as coaches and hitters. I saw a video of Joey Votto, a four-minute video. I thought Joey Votto was kind of a prim, proper, not really high on the comedy, and kind of a dull interview for the most part. I always thought he was a nice guy. I just thought he wasn't like an interview I was eager to listen to. But man, oh man, he did an interview this past week YouTube it or look it up on Twitter. I saw it on Twitter, but you can YouTube it. Joey Votto interview with the local broadcasters for the Reds, I believe. And man, it's four and a half minutes and it's funny. He he made me laugh a good three or four times in that just that short span. And, and if you're super busy, don't worry about it. Or if you you don't care much about the Reds or professional baseball, don't worry about it. But it, it was funny. And if you like Major League Baseball, if you like Joey Votto, you like the Reds, go check that out. Part two, last week we discussed the infamous yips. So I gave you some tips on dealing with the yips, tips on the yips. And we broke down some key strategies to work through that dreaded paralyzation that comes with the yips that the yips infuse into many athletes. I find that the yips, is, it's a spectrum. We broke it down in episode 89. The yips is something super well known in the baseball community and somewhat in the sports community. But I believe the word yips, Y-I-P-S, yips, comes from the baseball community. I think that's where it started, but maybe not. I don't know the, the whole history of it, but I'm very familiar with it. I heard about it years, decades and decades. Ago. I remember hearing about it probably 25 years ago for the first time. And we talk about how this is something that's very common in youth sports. It's very common in baseball. Major league players get it. College players get it. High school players and youth players get it. In fact, youth players may get it less because youth players, I find that they don't think as much. This is something I didn't cover last week, but I think youth players don't get burdened. They don't get paralyzed, uh, kind of a paralysis by analysis, a mental kind of block from the yips as much as older players because I think younger players are just more likely, younger people are just more likely to be in the moment. We, they're not overthinking so much. You know, adults, uh, almost of you listening, you're, you're going, yeah, coach, but I get it. Like adults, we start, we just start thinking a lot more. We have a lot more responsibilities. There's more stressors, our life experiences. Our minds are just, as adults, I think we just are constantly racing around thinking about more things. We have more things on our plate, more, you know, more to, longer to-do list. We have just more things and our brain starts to, starts to go at a rate that's not healthy and it starts to kind of block us. And we also start getting thoughts into our head that aren't positive or productive. And really, that's what the yips are. They're unproductive and almost a net negative in terms of production with what we're trying to do out on the baseball field. It, it blocks it. It can really hinder and paralyze players out there on the field, not a physically like paralyze. They're going to be in a wheelchair, but mentally paralyze them and really, really hinder their ability to be successful. So the yips, we talked about that last week. And then we also discussed our offseason plan for improving the fielding skills, specifically ground balls. So go back, check that 
that out, episode 89. If you haven't already, most of you already have. If you haven't, go back next week. Make sure you're here again next week. I'm going to start rolling out parts of these interviews that I just completed over the last two days. I did two interviews with two coaches that are awesome with their wisdom, that what they're sharing. And I made sure that these interviews were taking wisdom and getting the wisdom from these fantastic coaches, these two coaches that I interviewed. And I tried really hard to make sure that their message, their wisdom was channeled to coaches, specifically youth coaches, but coaches of every level, of course. And I really tried hard to make sure the questions were useful. The answers could be channeled towards every coach that listens to this podcast and they can get a lot out of it. So I'm excited. Man, these interviews went really, really well. Those will be, I'll start rolling those out next week. Each interview was about an hour and 15 minutes. What I'm going to do is break them up into chunks, part one, part two, probably a part three, so we can keep the interview, or I should say the podcast, the weekly Tuesday release of each podcast, we can keep that time at about 30 minutes-ish. So I am fired up to share with you those two interviews. We haven't done interviews on this podcast in a long time. Coulter, by the way, the only interview I've done, and I, I did three interviews with Coulter, I believe, and I spread it out over Coulter, Coach Coulter Bostic, and I spread it out over five episodes back last year, last summer, and Coach Coulter Bostic, he's now the pitching coach at Rice University. So he's now a pitching coach for a Division One university. Big shout out to Coach Coulter. Hey, I don't know. You come on the show and uh, so far we're one for one on coaches going on. Now, of course, it doesn't have much to do with the show in terms of him moving up and getting that awesome gig as a Division One college baseball coach. But nonetheless, it's good to have those quality coaches come on here. And next week, starting next week, I have two coming on here that are just fantastic. We've already recorded the interviews. Man, it's good stuff. So this week, here's a quote from Tony Gwynn. Tony Gwynn is one of the best hitters of all time, as most of you know, played for the Padres. Tony Gwynn, the late, great Tony Gwynn said, quote, I am not a guess hitter. A guess. G-U-E-S-S. Guess. I am not a guess hitter. Tony Gwynn just said it flat out. He's, I don't guess. This is something with hitting that gets talked about a lot in interviews, or I see it when major league players break things down, or I hear coaches talk about like, what pitcher are you looking for in this count? Or, you know, are you sitting on a fastball or were you guessing that he was going to throw you a fastball or, you know, were you sitting on a curveball? I don't recommend that for hitters. I'm not saying it can't occasionally be a successful plan. I just think you got to play the percentages and you got to think of productivity over the course of a season, over the course of a career, over the course of a game. You may get lucky on one pitch, but going up there as a guest hitter, especially as hitters get older and the pitchers start throwing more than one pitch and they start mixing in fastballs and changeups more often and definitely breaking balls and maybe multiple changeups or multiple breaking balls. Guess hitting is just not the best way to go about it. And I know there's going to be coaches out there say, well, if you know what's coming, if you know what's coming legally and you're not cheating like the Astros did and you're actually picking up the pitches or you can see the pitcher tip the pitch, that's one thing. That's not guessing. That's knowing what's coming because you the, the pitcher's giving it away. Maybe they're holding the ball and you can see it right from, you can see it kind of hanging out of their glove a little bit and you can see the pitch. Or maybe they only have one pitch, right? It, or if it's three and oh. Now, I highly recommend using Tony Gwynn's quote, I am not a guest hitter and staying with plan A, plan two, plan A and plan two. And then there's plan take. So 80-20 baseball here, we talk about this. We simplified the hitting approach down to the minimum, the most simple, but the most effective. I don't, I think simplicity gets misunderstood that it's not effective. I absolutely, and most of you listening to this show, and that's why you listen to this show, simplicity is the ultimate path to effectiveness. Albert Einstein said something like, make things as simple as possible, but no simpler. So I think he was, he said something like that. And I'll tell you what, what I try to do with this 
2020 baseball hitting approach, this hitting plan. It's essentially the select. When I say that, I'm talking about what the hitters are trying to select. It's pitch selection, what they're looking for at the plate. You obviously got to be on time and the swing has to be fairly good. But when I talk about the hitting plan, a hitting approach, we're talking about what pitch to swing at and the plan, what we're looking for when that pitch is coming in. And guessing, I just don't think overall is going to be, I think it's going to be a net negative on the productivity of all hitters. Some hitters may do a little better. They're better guessers. They can connect dots a little better with the information, maybe a scouting report. I don't recommend you be a guess hitter. I recommend that hitters go up there and they're in plan A, plan two. Plan A is less than two strikes. Plan two is with two strikes. And then plan take is that plan that we use occasionally when we need to take a pitch, but I've outlined exactly when those times are. And there's few and far between, but there's definitely some times where we want to take a pitch for certain reasons. And I break that down quite a bit in previous episodes and on the website, 8020 Baseball. I break it down. I lay it out. It's actually bulleted out each plan. So you go to the website, you can check that out. You can also get the drill design guide, the 8020 Baseball drill design guide. It breaks down. It's a PDF. I'll send it to you. I'll send it personally to you. It's not an automatic robot. I'll send it to you. And it breaks down the eight steps to building a good drill. But also on the 8020baseball.com website, I have the hitting plans broken down into bullet points too, along with the article. So check that out if you haven't. So Tony Gwynn said, I'm not a guest hitter. And I recommend that hitters don't become guest hitters. Now, as good as Tony Gwynn was as a hitter, there was a more productive hitter that I'm going to use a quote from and share with you right now, Ted Williams. Ted Williams is considered one of the greatest hitters of all time. And when I say greatest, I mean one of the most productive hitters. So I think we have to stay out of that trap of, oh, they had the highest batting average. Like Tony Gwynn had an extremely high batting average. So did Ted Williams. But when it comes to productivity, scoring runs, singles is one thing, but singles with doubles and home runs is a whole nother ball game. So being able to put the ball in play and getting singles when you need them with specifically with like two strikes, but also driving pitches, trying to hit doubles, trying to hit balls to the fence, to the wall, off the wall, not pop-ups, not fly balls, but hitting the ball hard, trying to drive that into the air. And we're going to break that down in the interview that I'm doing with coach Patrick Murphy in a few weeks. I'm going to break that down because he was one of the first coaches I ever met that was on board with that really got the idea of driving the ball, not pop-ups, not fly balls, but driving the ball hard in the air and not just necessarily hitting the ball on the ground. And we'll talk about where he got that from. And it's a, he gives, he gives a fantastic explanation and a backstory to where he learned about it and why it made sense right away. So Ted Williams, he said, quote, I have said that a good hitter can hit a pitch that is over the plate three times better than a great hitter can hit a questionable ball in a tough spot. The greatest hitter living can't hit bad balls good. Wow. The greatest hitter living cannot hit bad balls or bad pitches good. I'll tell you what, that encapsulates so much. So Tony Gwynn said, hey, don't be a guest hitter. Or he said, I'm not a guest hitter. And, and he was one of the most successful hitters of all time in terms of going up there and putting the ball, driving singles. He wasn't a, a power hitter. He could have been, I'm sure, but he wasn't. But Ted Williams, I think his quote's even more useful. And this goes right into the plan A and plan to approach. This is where I got all this stuff from. I, I took all the information in the baseball community for 30 some odd years of studying it from Ted Williams to Tony Gwynn, to all the coaches, all the professional players that I played with, all the college players, all the great college coaches, all the high school coaches, everything I was seeing, all the conferences I've been to, all the books I'd read, all the videos, everything, all the people I talked to, all the scouts I had talked to. And I boiled it down to what I think is the best hitting plan that I've seen. And I'm, I'm not saying that just because we came up with it. When I say we, I broke it down with some coaches that are really close that I know really well. We broke it down. I threw it back, you know, I threw it off them a little bit. I kind of bounced it off them to make sure before. I think we boiled it down to the most specific and most actionable and the best, most productive, simple way that the hitting approach can be done.
done at every single level. In fact, if I was the Giants or the Dodgers or the Yankees or the Tampa Bay Rays or your favorite team's hitting coach, I would teach it no other way. I would give them a little more detailed scouting report on pitchers, say, at the major league level because they have the data to back that up. But most that's outside of the major leagues. There's no the data is not good enough to make it go up to make hitters or allow hitters to go up there and deviate from at all. And even then, I wouldn't get too far away from it. Plan A, plan two. Ted Williams said, I have said that a, he said, quote, I have said that a good hitter can hit a pitch that is over the plate three times better than a great hitter can hit a questionable ball, a questionable pitch in a tough spot. The greatest hitter living cannot hit bad pitches good, quote, unquote, Teddy ball game. And lastly, it says, you are only as good as the pitch that you swing at. You're only as good as the pitch that you swing at. We've talked about this. That's not the strike zone. I heard this the other day from a coach that I really respect. He said, oh, he's doing better. This hitter, this hitter we were discussing is doing better because he's swinging at strikes. No, we're not swinging at strikes with less than two strikes. We're swinging at pitches that can be driven for that hitter. And that's going to look different for each hitter. And when I say different, slightly different, but you know, to the naked eye, it may not look much different for most of your hitters. You're looking at about a beach ball area, a beach ball area, a small mini hula hoop area in the strike zone, essentially about a third of the strike zone, give or take. Some hitters can cover half of the strike zone. When I say cover, they can drive that pitch with less than two strikes. Most hitters are going to have a hitting spot or hitting zone, an area where the pitch needs to cross through that they can drive that pitch and be productive. That that zone is going to be a third of the strike zone. It's going to, going to be the size of a beach ball. It's not going to be, and this is with less than two strikes, of course, it's not going to be the size of the strike zone. That's just, that's too much area to cover. I've said before the major league strike zone. So the major league strike zone is actually probably no bigger than the little league strike zone because you have the hitters are taller in the major leagues than they are. Obviously they're taller than they are in youth baseball, but the umpires in youth baseball call pitches below the knees. They call the pitches. And I know the major league umpires screw up from time to time, but they don't call as many pitches outside of the strike zone as youth umpires. You could go to any youth game randomly across America, across the world. You could go and watch one inning and go, okay, that umpire is calling more pitches strikes at the youth level than they do in the major league level. They call pitches six inches off the plate, a foot off the plate. They call pitches down at the shins. And this is kind of consistent. So at the major league level, you're not going to see that big a zone, but you do have bigger strike zones in the sense you have a strike zone that's bigger because of the hitter, but because of the umpires at the youth level, but covering that much area with less than two strikes, it's just not, there's no hitter that's ever lived that can cover the entire strike zone effectively and be productive. It's not doable. Now you can foul pitches off with plan two and you get to two strikes. You might need to foul pitches off. You might be able to put a ball in play and hope that the other team makes an error on it. Rather than strike out, it might be a pitch on the outside corner at the knees. It's a great pitcher's pitch. You got to poke it. You just got to put it in play because if you take it, it's strike three, you're on the bench. There's an out. Better to put it in play, try to foul it off. Off, even better, but and then hope the next pitch is a mistake or put it in play with two strikes and hope that you can run it out. Maybe it falls in, maybe it blues, maybe they make an error, whatever. Maybe it's a seeing eye single, as they like to say. So those two quotes, I love those. Tony Gwynn, I'm not a guess hitter. We don't want our hitters going up there guessing. And also Ted Williams said, hey, good hitters can hit a pitch that is over the plate three times better than, I don't know if this is scientific, but Ted Williams is one of the most cerebral players to ever play the game. And he said, a good hitter can hit a pitch that is over the plate three times better 
better than a great hitter can hit a ball, a pitch in a questionable area, a tough spot, a pitcher's pitch in, in essence. He also said the greatest hitter living cannot hit bad balls good. You are only as good as the pitch you swing at. So pitch selection, pitch selection, pitch selection. With less than two strikes, swing at the pitches that can be driven hard. Hitters should be swinging at hitters pitches. That's not in one small little tiny spot, of course. That's an area, like I said, maybe a big beach ball, a small hula hoop. Maybe it's half of the strike zone. Typically, it's a little elevated for some hitters. Some hitters like it low. Typically, most hitters are going to do a little more damage with it just above the average, you know, the middle height of that strike zone. Some hitters hit the ball in a little better. Some hit the ball on the outer part a little better, but they're going to find that area. They know when that pitch is coming in, I really truly believe that most hitters, that most hitters can, even youth hitters, even youth hitters, young hitters can understand when that pitch is coming in. If that's a pitch that's like, ooh, that's a meatball, that's a cookie, or ooh, that's a tough pitch. That's going to be hard to do something with. I really think that they can, they kind of inherently or intuitively, I should say, understand as the pitch is coming in like, ooh, I know I can hit that pitch. Or if they don't, they can learn it quickly by reps, by reps and feedback from the coach. All right, hey, that's probably a pitch that you should have taken. Hey, that's a good pitch to swing at. Good job. Now they might've say in batting practice, they foul off a pitch right right in their hitting zone. They foul it off. Your response is, I'm telling you, especially with youth coach, youth coach is talking to youth players. Maybe you avoid talking about the swing and just say, hey, that's an excellent job swinging at your pitch. Hey, hey, not going to get them all, but you're swinging at your pitch. And over time, you're going to score a lot more runs than you would otherwise. And you're going to be productive and help out and you're going to be a much better hitter. Or if they take a pitch that may look like a strike or maybe is a strike in batting practice on the outside corner when you're in plan A in your lesson two strike approach, you say, hey, good job. Good take. Good take. Some of the greatest coaches I've coached against, some of the best coaches I've coached against, they compliment their hitters when the other team gets a strike. When the other pitcher throws a strike, they compliment their hitters. When I first heard it, I thought it made sense. And I saw it from a you know, small group of really good coaches that had a lot of success. I started to see a trend that they were not, it wasn't about swinging at strikes. It was about swinging at the hitter's pitch with less than two strikes. So they would take, the, the hitter would take a strike, but the coach would compliment him. Say, hey, good take. Good job. Get your pitch. Get your pitch. Now, when I first heard that, I thought, well, you're also giving away your strategy to the other team. But then I realized really quick that pitchers don't have the best accuracy at any level, much less youth baseball. Go watch a major league game. Watch the catcher's glove. Just watch a random inning with a random pitcher. I don't know. It could be Max Scherzer. It could be Garrett Cole. It could be Jake DeGrom, or it could be some guy you've never heard of. Just got called up from AAA. Watch a random inning and watch the catcher's glove before the pitch and watch where that glove goes when the pitch gets to the plate and tell me how often out of those 15 pitches that pitcher throws in that random inning, how many of those the glove didn't move. (laughs) You'd be very lucky to see an inning where the glove doesn't move half the time, half the time. That means I would almost guarantee that major league pitchers miss their spots. And when I say miss by six inches, six inches, which is a huge difference in, in the major league level, I bet they miss their spots by six inches more than half the time. And youth baseball definitely missing spots. So it doesn't matter. My point to that was the coach was giving away the strategy, but the pitcher doesn't have just pinpoint location all the time. Very rare is it just pinpoint. It's not a video game where you just type in like A1 and the fastball goes right to that spot. It's not how real the real world works with pitching and whatnot. So take those quotes, use them to help shape that paradigm of yours. Now, part four, the summer training plan for baseball players. Summer, we're in summer, it's August. Get stronger, get faster. That was priority number one. Players need to get stronger and they need to get faster. Baseball players should be doing short sprints. They shouldn't be doing the 800 meters. They shouldn't be doing these long distance unless you're trying to get the player to maybe burn a few calories. Maybe you got a junior high kid that you're trying to, you know, maybe they want to lose a little weight. That's different. But even then, I would recommend doing sprint work and just more reps. Sprint work, sprint work, sprint work. Get them fast, get them strong, get them stronger. Body weight stuff works great. Go back about three episodes 
episodes ago, we broke down a plan, a template for youth players, high school players, anybody for that matter, getting stronger, getting faster. Part two of the summer training plan, we talked about hitting, seeing a lot of pitches, improving that approach at the plate. So get stronger, get faster, then get better as a hitter, see a lot of pitches, try to get a lot of reps in the batter's box. Part four of the summer baseball training plan, fielding ground balls, preferably a variety of angles and speeds and rest the arm if needed. Many youth players throw, they pitch, and so rest that arm if needed, but get a lot of work on the ground balls, maybe the occasional line drive and fly ball, but a lot of ground balls, a variety of ground balls. And now part four, raising the baseball IQ. Playing baseball games is the number one fastest way to getting a player to understand and learn the game faster and get better at understanding and raising that player's baseball IQ. Playing the game. Everybody knows in life when you're in the trenches, when you're doing something, that is the best learning environment. Reading about it, watching a video on it, sitting in a classroom, getting told about it. That does nothing compared to actually being there and doing it. Now, during the summer, you just don't always have that option. It's August going into September. Kids play other sports. They're taking time off, which is awesome. That's okay. That's great. They should be taking some time off, doing other things, but why not raise the baseball IQ a little bit during the off season, that little bit of an edge. And here are my two strategies that I want to recommend, my two recommendations that you can do that do not involve playing baseball games, but can raise the baseball IQ. The first one, go to baseball games, go to the game, a professional game, a major league game, a minor league game, a college game, go to a professional game. If you can in your area, get there an hour early, get there early. And now the nice thing about getting there early is typically minor league games start at six or seven. A lot of times they start at seven o'clock. You got a young kid, he's got school the next day, or he's got, you know, you you don't want to be out till 11 p.m. and getting home at 11. You might want to get home at 930. Well, if you get there at six o'clock, you can watch or you get there at 530. You can watch, assuming they let you in the stadium and most stadiums, they'll let you in a little, you know, they let you in early. You can get in there and you can watch the players do their pregame training. You can see it a little closer. There's fewer distractions. There's fewer fans. There's also they're not doing the uh, bat spin race and they don't have the mascot out there and they're not shooting t-shirts out of the water out of those cannons or uh, water balloon slingshots aren't slingshotting t-shirts into the stands so there's not as much of a distraction there's not as many distractions before the game it's a little quieter kids can get in there and they can really watch the professional players the college players in your area do their thing and and learn from it and kind of watch and see that at a minimum they're going to see the speed of the game i think just in fact watching the game in general getting a good seat watching the game from field level helps. Even if you're in the outfield, a field level seat I think is better because it allows the angles. You can see speed and angles and things like that a little bit better. But just the speed of the game. The speed of the game is something that next season for all players is going to typically be a little faster. A lot of times players move up in youth baseball. They move up a league the next year. I, I get it. You stay in some, in say Little League, you're in like Little League majors. You might stay there for a couple seasons. In fact, I played three seasons. I played like my uh, 10 year old year, 11 year old year and 12 year old year at the same level only because my dad moved me up young because he was coaching my older brother and he brought me along but nonetheless most baseball players most youth baseball players are moving up a level pitches get a little faster ground balls a little firmer fly balls a little further so going and watching something that's a much further along in terms of the speed of the game and the distances the the talent level the the capability the skill level it really shows players live and in person what it looks like what it looks like at a higher level and I think that's really good the speed of the game, watching what a really quick pitch looks like. So I recommend getting there early. I recommend, you know, if you get there an hour early and you stay for a couple hours, there's three hours. I also recommend going to dinner before you get there or at least eating something.
thing. So you're not sitting at the snacks, the snack bar the whole time. You're not down there getting food the whole time. Doesn't mean you shouldn't enjoy some of that baseball food at the field. Oh, yes, definitely. You got to get a little something at the baseball field. Nothing like some of that baseball food, that fair that they sell. I used, I grew up going to a lot of Dodger games and Angel games and minor league games and college games. But nonetheless, I really vividly remember going and getting Dodger. We never went to a Dodger game. We didn't get at least one Dodger dog, a bag of peanuts and a malt. Speaking of malt, man, I was talking to my dad about malts the other day. These were chocolate malts at Dodger Stadium. I'm sure a lot of stadiums have them. They would give you this little wood spoon, this little wooden spoon. And it was, couldn't have been much bigger than like the length of a typical toothpick. And I swear it was about as firm as a toothpick. And they would give you this little flat wooden spoon, no curve to it. And then they'd give you this frozen malt. You know, there's soft serve and then there's things like Thrifty's ice cream. If you've ever been out in the West Coast, I don't know if Thrifty's ice cream is out on the East Coast or I don't remember ever seeing it when I was out there, but Thrifty's ice cream is big in California. It's been around for like 70 years. They sell it at the Rite Aids and whatnot now, but Thrifty's ice cream is, is a harder type of ice cream. It's a little, it's, you know, it's a, I don't know what the term is, but you have soft serve and this would be like kind of your harder serve. Well, the malt at Dodger Stadium, man, oh man, those were like your ultra hard, like frozen. They literally, they when they said frozen malls, like frozen mall, but then they expect you to eat it with a wooden spoon. Man, oh man. I equate that to going up to hit. Like it's like going up to bat with a fishing pole. We're like, and not even a deep sea fishing pole, just like your traditional spinning rod that you take out to the, I feel like, like you're going up there, like you'd have no chance. And even if you did square up a ball, it'd probably snap the, snap the rod, right? So anyways, that always was, uh, some of you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. And some of you guys are like, coach, let's get back to the point. And that is let's get our players IQs higher and raise them, even though we're not out there in the middle of the season, take them to games, get there early, take them to a local college game, take them to a local college practice or a local high school practice. If the high school is run by a quality code, a quality, it's a quality program. Take them. That's some of the best stuff that you can do in terms of getting up close and personable and, and seeing it and hearing a lot of what's going on at the college and high school level, because there's fewer fans. There's not a bunch of distractions going on. You can get a better seat. You can listen, take them to a practice. Just one practice can do wonders. Just one college game, getting there, sitting in college baseball. If they're playing fall games, get there. If they have practices, go watch the practice, sit down there. Even if it's just, Hey, let's go there. And then afterwards, we're going to go get some pizza, make it a, a fun little outing. Take your boys out, have some fun with that. Now there is a even faster way other than just going to the games, but I feel it's not quite as good, but it's definitely something that is very effective. And this is my tip number two, share with your players, with your son, maybe your daughter, share baseball IQ videos. I, you're going, what is that? If you go on YouTube or whatever your search engine that you use, your video platform that you use, typically it's YouTube right now, type in high IQ, high IQ baseball plays or high IQ. But yeah, if you just type in high IQ plays, you're going to get football and other things, which isn't a bad way to do it for other sports because a lot of youth kids play multiple sports. Type in high baseball IQ plays. There are at least a good half dozen videos of this that show compilations of high IQ plays and it, it compiles them a compilation into a like say a 10 minute video and it may be something titled the 50 high IQ baseball plays of all time or something like that. You know, they always had them catchy clickbait names, but nonetheless, and there are very good videos out there that players could sit there and watch. They like video and these are fun and they're well done. These videos are well done. They're on YouTube. They're free. High IQ. You could type in smart baseball plays, but I know if you type in IQ baseball plays, high IQ baseball plays, you're going to get at least a half dozen and they will have, you will, if you type in that into the search, what will come up will easily be well over a hundred different high IQ baseball plays. In fact, if you're coaching catchers, Yadier Molina has a couple videos. Oh, it's not his videos, but people have put together a couple 
videos of him just being playing at a high IQ. Not necessarily how fast he threw the ball, like velocity or hitting a home run, but it actually shows him as a catcher with high IQ plays, thinking ahead, being smart and outsmarting the other team. So send them to your son, send them to your players, share them, watch them together on your TV, high IQ baseball players. So now you go, well, is that going to make a big difference, Coach Bo? Is that really going to make a big difference? I believe that it's worth your time. Is it going to make a player go from not understanding baseball to all of a sudden playing and thinking like Yaddy or Molina, one of the greatest of all time? No, it's not. But it's definitely going to get their mind thinking. And what it does a lot of times, it's a residual effect. You show them these high IQ plays and then the next season when it starts with a a fall baseball or winter baseball or definitely spring baseball, when they get out there on the field the next time, their mind is going to start thinking on a little different level. They're going to come at it from a different and they're going to actually be looking for those. Now, they may not be able to go out and perform right away or remember all the, of course, they're not going to remember all those great plays that they saw on video, but it changes their paradigm to thinking and playing smart, thinking and looking for that edge, trying to outsmart and be one step ahead of the other team. So we want to raise the baseball IQ of our baseball players. This is a big deal. Everybody that plays in the major leagues, almost everybody, 99% of baseball players outside of my my boy, Manny Ramirez, who's since retired. Well, I think I saw he's still playing somewhere. I think he's playing somewhere 41 years old, but nonetheless, outside of guys like Manny, who I love, but Manny, he wasn't the highest IQ baseball player. Man, he was one heck of a good hitter, had a heck of a good, probably one of the highest IQ hitting approaches, or at least one of the best hitting approaches of all time, Manny Ramirez. But most baseball players that make it past or make the high school varsity team and make definitely to college and professional baseball, they have high IQs. They've developed high baseball IQ, high baseball acumen. And why not get started with youth baseball? Kids like videos. They love just watching that stuff on YouTube. Show them those high IQ videos, get their brain thinking that way so it can kind of cultivate a higher IQ mindset as they continue their playing career. All right, you guys, man, always fun being here with you guys. Send me your emails, coachbo at 8020baseball.com. If you have questions about anything, go to the 8020baseball.com website. You got the drill guide there, the drill design guide, the eight steps to building the perfect drill. And next week in episode 91, we're, we're going to do our first interview. I'm going to have my first interview with with a great coach to share with you in over a year. It's loaded with specific strategies to help coaches build better relationships. This is a specific topic that I think we can all, especially youth coaches and even parents can listen to and learn from. This is going to help share this coach. Coach Murray next week is going to help share with you a better plan, a plan to help build better relationships with parents of the players that you coach. And also from the parents perspective of working with coaches, a coach, this coach, Coach Murray, he won the Orange County Coach of the Year Award. He's been awarded the Coach of the Year in Orange County, which is probably one of the best baseball areas in the entire world in terms of the density of the quality of baseball just being played. He has over 25 years of coaching experience, things like 28 years of coaching experience. He's coached youth baseball as well. He led his team to two Southern California championship games. The first one was at Dodger Stadium. He'll be on next week and he'll be sharing. He was, I've never seen a coach as good with handling parents as he was. And we'll talk about it from both sides, being a parent and also the coach working with parents, because that's a huge part of a quality team culture. You want to have a good team culture? You got to get the kids on board. You got to get the parents and family on board. And we'll get into that next week in episode 91. Until then, take care of yourselves. Take care of your health. Take care of those families and take this out there. Take this information out there. Make the baseball community a better place. Let's leave it a lot better than we found it. Help your players get better. Help them have more fun. Help give them the best opportunity to move up and keep playing. And until next week, take care. 
This has been the 8020 Baseball Masterclass. Take it to the field.